0: Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God So, welcome once again. We are doing a short series, uh, probably about six weeks or so, on relevant cultural topics. Uh, The first two weeks were on the subject of truth, and tonight we turn to the subject of abortion. Um, I want to say a couple things before we get started. Uh, This has probably been the most difficult lesson uh, that I have ever put together, and I have put together... Uh, hundreds of them, it, and it was by far the hardest and it, I, but it 's probably not for the reasons you think. It has nothing to do with the theology being difficult. Um, scripture, I think, is very clear on this subject. It had nothing to do with uh, science, you know the science behind. It. In fact, one of the things I think is going to surprise you over the next few weeks is all of our subjects, whether it's abortion, or race, or gender, or sexuality, uh, science is in agreement with the Bible. It's not a scientific issue, and it's not a Bible issue, it's completely something else. But it's, it, that had nothing to do with it, that part wasn't hard. What made it difficult was some other things, I, I, I put down three of them. Number one, it was probably one of the most unpleasant experiences I've ever had. Um, normally when I sit down to teach a lesson, like we went through the book of Romans, and you're... You're in Scripture, and you're dealing with subjects that are uplifting and faith-building. There's absolutely nothing uplifting about this subject. Uh, to be quite honest, when you spend a week in it, digging down into the realities of it, you just walk away feeling dirty and extremely, extremely sad. So I, I don't, I'm don't. i ready to get it over with. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to move on to something else. That's number one. Number two... I knew when I stood up here tonight, I'm going to have to say some very difficult things. I'm going to have to some answer some questions that are very difficult questions to answer. You know, technology is a wonderful thing, and medical science, and, and, and there are a lot of babies alive today that wouldn't have been alive 50 or 100 or 150. Or Everybody with me? There's also a lot of children not alive today because of technology because of genetic testing, because of a lot of, there's a lot of things, children, there's a downside. There's, there's situations we're in today that generations before never had to deal with. You almost need the wisdom of Solomon sometimes to be able to figure out what to do. And I certainly don't have the wisdom of Solomon, but all I have is the Bible. That's all I can go by. And uh, and I'm going to have to answer some some difficult questions, but that's I knew that when I uh, I signed up for it. Here's the third reason. I had to assume when I stand up here tonight that there will be some woman in this room that's had an abortion. Statistics tell us that one out of four women, it varies 24%, 25%, 28%, but roughly one out of four women in America have had an abortion. So we're just regular people, right? There's nothing special about us. So I have to assume that in here tonight is a woman or more than one that have had an abortion. So I need to say a couple things before we start. First of all, I want you to understand that nobody is judging you. I have no intention of judging you. The Bible tells me that I'm not to judge you. Uh, In fact, i got enough problems of my own to deal with. So that is not why we're here tonight. But I want to reiterate something that I mentioned in passing last week. And that is this. And I don't care if you're a woman that's had an abortion or you're a man that's addicted to pornography or you've got any of the other type of baggage that we tend to come into Christianity with. There's one way out of sin and there's one way out of of shame and guilt and that is facing the truth. That's it. That's your one way out. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 18 in his conversation with Pilate. We covered this in week one. He said this, for this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Jesus says, I've come into this world to tell you the truth, to to tell you how things really are, to to testify to it, to to reveal it to you. But he also said this, and this is the bad news from John chapter 12. Jesus said, I'm not going to judge you. He said this, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So Jesus says, I've come to give you the truth. Here it is. And that truth is going to judge you. I won't judge you, but the word itself, the truth that I speak, will judge you on the last day. Now, that's the bad news. But here's the good news. In John 8, 32, Jesus said, you can know the truth and the truth can set you free. Free, free from what? From sin, from shame, from guilt, from condemnation, from judgment. So here's the truth, right? Jesus has come to give it to us and we have a choice. It can be our judge or it can be our deliverer. That's your choice. Now, what I, I, I hope you want to be set free. And how do we do that? Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. 31. But if we judge ourselves truly... In other words, if we would judge ourselves according to the truth, we won't be judged. What an opportunity we have as human beings that we know the truth... ...and we have the opportunity right now to stare at the truth, accept the truth... ...and judge ourselves by the truth and be set free. Or we can suppress the truth and we'll have to face it on that last day. First John 1.9, we all know this. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins... And, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, that's how we get through the guilt and the shame and the sin. I don't care, man, woman, whatever it is. We have to face the truth, accept the truth, judge ourselves by the truth, and ask forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and we will be set free. So that's, that's what we're doing. So what we started last two weeks, that's what we'll be doing tonight and the next few. It's just here's the truth. Here it is. What you do with it, what I do with it is up to uh, us. All right, let's turn to our subject. January 22nd, 1973. um, If you watch the news any at all the last few weeks, you know exactly what happened on that date. That was the date the Supreme Court legalized abortion in this country. Almost this coming January will be almost 50 years ago uh, and, and that was the, the famous or infamous uh, Roe v. Wade uh, decision. Since that day, January 22nd, 1973, 62 million abortions. That's just in America. And we're not even going to look outside this country. The, the the numbers outside this country are mind-numbing. 62 million. That number is so big. You know, it's like looking at the, the government uh, budget sometimes. you you just can't wrap your head around numbers that big. So I, I, I got some analogies for you that maybe will help you. Abortion, if you look at those states that are darkened right there, that's 18 different states. Abortion has killed a population more than those 18 states combined. If you took all 18 states and combined the, the current population, abortion has killed more people than live in those 18 states in the last 50 years. If these 62 children had been born, and they were able to stand side by side and hold hands, that line would stretch for 65,000 miles. And, and one way to look at it, it would circle the equator of the earth two and a half times. Just just kids standing beside each other holding hands. 62 million. How many of you have ever been to the Vietnam Memorial? If you ever been to the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C., that memorial is a little wall about Yehai. And it lists the names of just over 58,000 soldiers that were killed in the Vietnam War. Now, that wall stretches 492 feet, which is about a little over one and a half football fields. If we wrote down the names of all 62 million babies on that wall, that wall would stretch from Tallahassee to Cross City over 90 miles. Or how about this one? That glass right there, represents all the soldiers killed in the American Revolution, the Civil War, both North and South, uh, World War I, World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and the Gulf and Iraq War. That's a million and a half uh, soldiers have have died in those wars. So one bead is uh, is 1,000 soldiers. Everybody got that? Those glasses right there represents, each one of those beads represents 1,000 babies aborted in America. You compare it. Do the comparison. The red glasses, all the soldiers killed in those American wars, and beside that are all the babies aborted in America. 62 million. Now just let that sink in for just a moment. In fact, if you go back and look at the numbers, that one and a half million, we exceed every year between 1980 and 1992. We exceeded that number every single year. Every single year between 1980 and uh, 1992, there were more than one and a half million abortions in this country, exceeding the number of all the soldiers killed in those wars. It's a mind-numbing number. Now, thankfully, thank God, abortions have gone down since then. Uh, The last year that we've got uh, data was 2020. 2020. For some reason they get data every three years in 2020 there were 930,000 plus abortions that's over 2,500 every day that's 106 every hour that's an abortion in America every 34 seconds so this is something that is absolutely rampant okay and and a lot of us you know if you if you're not you may not be familiar with it maybe you are but it's a it's an ongoing issue now. Why do they occur? Why are women women having uh, abortions? The state of Florida, it turns out, and I didn't know this, but the state of Florida records a reason for every abortion that's done within uh, the state's borders. So whenever there's an abortion done, they always ask the the lady, "Why are you why are you having this?" In 2020. There were just under seventy-five thousand abortions in Florida. Okay, and that was in 2020. These are the reasons the, that were given that year. So, uh, zero point—I'm sorry—zero point oh one percent said the pregnancy resulted from an incestuous relationship. Zero point one five percent the woman was raped. Zero point two zero percent the woman's life was endangered. there was a serious fetal abnormality. 1.48%, the woman's physical health was threatened. 1.88%, the woman's psychological health was threatened. 20%, the woman aborted for social or economic reasons. And 75% was just, I don't, it was just elective. I don't want the baby. No reason. Now, if you put those numbers together, 97% of the abortions that were done in Florida had nothing to do with incest or rape, had nothing to do with the health of the baby or the health of the mother. 97%. By the way, that's, that's very consistent. I mean, obviously, statistics are going to go up and down from year to year, from state to state, but that's very consistent that Nine, the, it's usually 95, 96, 97% of the abortions done in this country are purely elective. Just purely elective for social reasons or economic reasons, or I'm just for whatever reason. It has nothing to do with the health of the baby, health of the mother, uh, rape, or incest. So we need to keep that in mind because obviously when you open the news, they're always talking about the 3%, right? They're talking about rape. They're talking about incest. They're talking about the saving the, the, the life of the mother. They don't talk about the 97, 98% of abortions that are done purely out of just don't want, the, don't want the child. 62 million. All of them are absolutely perfectly legal in this country. Now, that don't make it right. That don't make it right we got to remember that just because something is legal certainly doesn't make it moral and certainly doesn't make it right in God's eyes. In fact, I want to give you a little analogy that I think will speak volumes to this. I, did a, I ran across this several years ago. It was an analogy between slavery and abortion and the legality of both of those. For example, slavery existed legally in America for 300 years. In fact, it goes back to 1565 when Ponce de Leon came to Florida. Uh, I think he brought three slaves with him. So it tracks from 1565 all the way to 1865. So slavery existed legally in this country for 300 years. Abortion has existed legally for 50 years. And by the way, even though they've, uh, uh, you know, overturned Roe v. Wade, it's still going to be legal in a lot of places, okay, so it's not made illegal. Some states it will be, but there's going to be plenty of states where it is still legal. Now, back then, half the country believed it was their right to own slaves. Today, half the country believes it's their right to an abortion. The Supreme Court in those days supported slavery. The Supreme Court for the past 50 years has supported abortion, Many in that day would have argued that slaves were not human beings, but property. And their slogan would have been, keep your hands off my property. Today, many argue that the fetus is not a human being, that it's just a a, a clump of cells or tissue. And of course, their slogan is, keep your hands off my body. Those who supported slavery in the day believe the government should compel compliance. I don't know if you, you guys remember studying the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850. But Congress passed a law in 1850. And it said that if a slave was to escape, and let's say you lived, uh, you lived in a free state where there was no slavery, and let's say you were morally against slavery. If that slave came to your house, you were legally obliged to send them back. That was a law passed by Congress. They tried to com- compel compliance with slavery. They want to do the same thing today with abortion. Doesn't matter if you're against it religiously or morally. Those who support it think that you should comply. That's why the government sued Hobby Lobby. Remember, Hobby Lobby didn't want to uh, have abortion in their health care. They got sued. It went all the way to Supreme Court. The Supreme Court said, "No, you can't do that." Not to mention the fact that our that our taxes continue to support Planned Parenthood. Finally, unfortunately, those, in, those da- in the days of slavery that called themselves Christians supported slavery. And there are still those today who call themselves Christians who support abortion. Just, be- sla- just because slavery was legal did never make it right. And just because abortion is legal today don't make it any more right in the eyes of God. Now, let's turn to the central issue. What is the one Issue the central issue on the subject of, uh, of abortion. This is pretty straightforward, and everybody should probably know this. And the central issue is when does life begin? Or another way to put it is when does a human being come into um, existence? Now, why is this important? Because whether you think uh, life begins at conception or life begins at, at 30 days or life begins at six months, whatever you think, we can all agree that after that point, you're killing a human being, yes? So that's the central issue, is where does that life begin? Because after that, we all know it's not right to kill an innocent human being. So whether we, and, and there are people who think life doesn't begin until that baby comes out of the womb. But that is the central issue, because after that, we are, we are doing something very, very wrong. Now, I'm going to start tonight, with outside of the Bible, I'm going to start with science. And I could start with the Bible and go to science, but I'm going to start with science because I think a lot of people have been kind of fed bad information. But science actually here agrees with the Bible. Let me give you a few quotes. Here's one. The American College of Pediatrician concurs with the body of scientific evidence that human life begins at conception. By the way, this quote came in 2004. Remember, the the Roe v. Wade decision was 1973. They didn't have DNA. They didn't have genetics. They didn't have uh, ultrasounds. They didn't have what they would have 30 years later. And this is what the American College of Pediatricians said, scientific and medical discoveries over the past three decades have only verified and solidified this age old truth. The difference between the individual in its adult stage and in its zygotic or embryonic stage is not one of personhood, but of development. Here's another quote. An individual human life begins at conception when a sperm cell from the father fuses with an egg cell from the mother. The full genetic instructions are present in the zygote or the uh, embryo. Let me give you another one. This is from Dr. Jerome Lejeune, who's a professor of genetics and the Nobel Prize winner of 1981. He said this. After fertilization has taken place, a new human being has come into existence. This is not a matter of taste or opinion. It is not a metaphysical contention. It is plain experimental evidence. Give you one more. Upon fertilization, parts of human beings, the egg and the sperm, have actually been transformed into something very different from what they were before. They have been changed into a single, whole human being. During the process of fertilization, the sperm and the egg cease to exist as such, and a new human being is produce. That's Dr. Diane Irving from Princeton's International Journal of Sociology and Social Policy. I, I, some of y'all know I've started growing a garden. I'm terrible at it. And um, so I put all these little seeds in the ground and, and they start sprouting up. And, and one of the things I learned about it is you better mark them because when they pop up, you can't tell what's a cucumber, what's a watermelon, or what's a squash. I mean, they all look the same, Right. Now, the, the plant on the left, in fact, you can actually see the seed husk in the top left corner. That's a squash, right? But the one on the right is also a squash. The one on the left is no more or less a squash than the one on the right. It may not look like it. The leaves are going to change. It's going it's to get much, much bigger and much, more mature. But all the genetic information that that little plant on the left needs to become a mature squash is already there. It's a squash. It's no less a squash. It's just a squash in a different level of maturity. There is no difference between that and a baby. When that sperm fertilizes that egg, a miracle. I don't know any other thing to call it. It is an absolute miracle. They got no idea how it happens. It is a miracle. And all the genetic information in a a second... That that child will ever have in its life is right there for that very moment in that first cell. It's, it's an amazing thing. It's DNA. It's genetics. Everything it will need to become a, a fully functioning adult human being is already there. The only thing it needs is time. It just needs time. At the moment of conception, there is new life. That baby already possesses the 46 chromosomes completely distinct from the mother and father. I've heard people that are pro-abortion say sometimes, well, it's like a tumor. No, it's not. A tumor is your genetics. It's your DNA. This baby is not your genetics. It's not your DNA. It's completely different from the mother. By 21 days, the first heartbeats have become. By 45 days, brain waves can be detected by the 9th and 10th weeks. The thyroid and adrenal glands are functioning by 12 or 13 weeks. It's got fingernails, it's sucking its thumb, it recoils from pain, and it has its own fingerprints. The only thing that child needs to become what you and I are is time and nurture. That's it. It is a human being at the very moment of conception. Back in 2018, a guy by the name of Stephen Jacobs, who's with the Northwestern School of Law, the University of Chicago they were uh, basically trying to settle the issue of when life begins. Because they, they felt like, okay, you know, now, we'll talk about this later, but the value that you can place on a life is up to you, right? You may put less value on a child in the womb or a vest less value. That's a different subject. But they were just trying to settle the matter of when does life begin. So he sent out a survey to 5,502 biologists around the country. And he asked them one question, when does life begin? 95%, 5,212 out of 5,502 affirm that human life begins at fertilization or conception. 95% of biologists affirm that. See, science doesn't disagree with us or with the Bible. The preborn child is a human being. And we would all agree, I think, hopefully, that it is wrong to kill innocent human beings. Now, as I said earlier, I'm glad science agrees, but my morality is not determined by science. It's not, certainly not determined by legal opinions or cultural opinions. Morality is determined by truth. That's what we learned the first two weeks in this study. Morality, what's right... Is determined by truth. So now we turn to what the Bible says. Now, I want to deal with something right up front because you hear this all the time. So I want to set this aside. Sometimes I'll read people who call themselves Christians, and this is their argument. They'll say, well, Jesus never talked about abortion. The New Testament never says anything about abortion. So let's not be dogmatic about it. They'll say, you know what, this is a difficult issue and you got your views and I got my views and, you know, we need to allow room to to differ. But that's their argument, right? You hear this all the time. The Bible says nothing about this or the Bible says nothing about that. Let me give you a couple of quotes. This is Roy Ward, who's a professor of religion at Miami University of Ohio. He said this, one thing the Bible does not say is thou shalt not abort. And technically, he's right. Let me give you another one. This is Mark Bigelow. He is a member of Planned Parenthood's Clergy Advisory Board. And this is what he said. One thing I know from the Bible is that Jesus was not against women having a choice in continuing a pregnancy because he never said a word about abortion. And a lot of times, they'll make this argument. And as Christians, we're kind of, what do you say to that? (laughs) Okay. Now, let me just say to you, that is technically correct, but don't be fooled by that argument. That, that is a logical fallacy. It doesn't hold any water. And here's why. Just because an act is not mentioned specifically in Scripture does not mean the Bible approves of it. Let me give you an example. Have you ever read in the Bible about pyramid schemes? You ever seen the word carjacking in the Bible? Serial killers? Wife beating? Pedophilia? polygamy in the New Testament? Did Jesus say anything about any of those things? No. Never use those words. Does that mean they're okay? Of course not, right? See, what the Bible does, and you need to understand this about the Bible, what the Bible does, and this is why the Bible is so great, because it doesn't try to create this list of every little sin that you could possibly create. The Bible understands, God understood that as time goes by, people's language is going to change. Technology is going to change. Do you know human beings are great at inventing new ways to sin? Yes? I mean, we can come up with new ways. Just give us some technology, we'll figure out a way to, to, to corrupt it. So the Bible doesn't try to list every little thing because it knows that that's, there's always going to be new stuff. What the Bible does is it gives us these bigger truths. For example, you shall not kill. That takes care of terrorism, doesn't it? That that takes care of serial killers, doesn't it? Or, Or something like this. It says, you shall not steal. Well, that takes care of carjacking and pyramid schemes. Or how about flee sexual immorality? That takes care of pedophilia. Or how about this? Husbands, love your wife. That takes care of the wife beating. You see what I'm saying? That's 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 just so awesome about the Bible. It doesn't try to check off every little term. It just gives us these big truths that cover those things. So here's the question. So so first of all, don't be fooled by that argument. The Bible doesn't say. That's just a diversion. Let me tell you the people that are using that argument could care less what the Bible says. They don't care. About that, it's just an argument to knock you off your uh, your kind of uh, your your you know your confidence and all that. Don't be don't fall for that. Don't be fooled by it. So, what does the Bible teach us? What's the bigger truths that would cover abortion? Let me give you a few. First of all, Scripture teaches that human life is created and nurtured by God. Okay, let's look at some scriptures. Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, "Let us make man in our." Image every human being, whether that's a child in the womb or one outside the womb, is made in the image of God. That means we we can we're not animals. We can think rationally. We're we're self aware. We uh you know we 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 can think about God, right? We we're like Him in that sense. We have uh we can do things like forgive and not forgive and all these things that are traits uh, of God. So. We are made in His image. Number two, Job 31.15. And I love this scripture. I really thought a lot about this this week. Job said this, Did not he who made me in the womb make him? Now, if you go back and read that in context, Job's talking about his servants. And what he says is, If one of my servants has a beef with me, and they take it to God, and God comes to inquire of me about it, he says, Didn't the same God that made me make my servant? Do you see how that values life? Does everybody see that? If we would all go through life understanding that the same God that made me made you. The same God that made me made her or him. We would value life. But instead we've thrown God out the door and says it's just all evolution and we're a bunch of of cells. But Job had it right. That's how we ought to think. Job 10, 8 through 12, Your hands have shaped me and made me. You clothed me with skin and flesh and knit me together with bones and sinews. You gave me life. You gave me life. Life comes from God. We can do the science all day long, but Scripture tells us what is true, the way it really is, and that is that life comes from God. Psalms 139, 13 through 16. For you formed me, my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful, wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. Jeremiah 1.5, this is the word of God to Jeremiah. Before you, I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Not after I formed you, but before, before that sperm ever penetrated that egg, I already knew you. I knew your name. I knew who you were going to be. I I had chosen to have a relationship with you. God certainly wills and purposes to create a a human life. Look at Psalms 127 3. Behold, children are a heritage from who? The Lord. Children are given to us with a purpose, and that is to be a heritage. That's the purpose. You see, the fact, this is why abortion can be so wrong in so many ways. Not only is it the ending of a human life, but it's a a supremely arrogant act because it imposes the creature's will over God's. God gives life. God creates life. God has a purpose for that life. And the human being says, no, I'm not going to have that. By the way, that's the very definition of sin. When we try to impose our will over His so not only is God the creator and giver of life, but scripture implicitly and explicitly forbids the killing of the innocent. Exodus twenty thirteen. we all know this from the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not take innocent life. Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. We also see in Scripture time and time again that Scripture affirms the personhood of children in the womb before they're born. You see this with Isaac, you see it with Jacob and Esau, with Samson, Jeremiah, Paul, even Jesus, uh, uh, the Isaiah prophesying about the, the Messiah in John the Baptist in Luke 1. So they are named inside the womb. They are given characteristics. God says, this one's going to do this, and this one's going to do this, and this one's going to be that way. They're already people. They're not tissue. They're not blobs. They are human beings, and God already knows them. He knows their name. He knows their personalities. He's got got plans, and he's got purposes for them. One thing that you'll often see uh, uh, about the Bible and abortion is we go all the way back to the Old Testament, and what we see there is that the death of an unborn child is penalized. Let's look at Exodus 21, 22 to 25. It says this, If men fight and hit a pregnant woman and her child is born prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the one who hit her will surely be punished in accordance with what the woman's husband uh, demands of him and he will pay what the court decides. So what this is saying is if two men are fighting and they hit the woman and she, it causes her to give birth... If the child is born without injury, in other words, it was born early, but everything's okay, it lives, there's no no injuries to it, then there'll be some kind of fine that the court decides, but that's the end of it. But this is what it says, but if there is serious injury to that child, then you will give a life for a life, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. By the way, this is exactly the same penalty in Leviticus 24 for adults in the Old Testament. So what we see here is God didn't see the child in the womb as any less of a human, any less of a person, any less of value than an adult. Now, we get to the hard part. When you turn on the news, you turn on the paper, you, or read the paper, turn on the paper. I turn on the paper because I read it on the computer. But you open the paper, you read all these articles... They, all, they don't talk about the 97 percent, do they? They always talk about the the the, the odd, the the, the kind of one-offs, right? And we're going to have to talk about those. And I think most people are opposed to abortion at some level. I mean, you know, come on. I mean, almost everybody, I think, at some level, realizes that it's wrong. But where lines begin to blur. It's when you begin to deal with these more difficult situations, okay? So I want to go back to the uh, statistics from Florida and the reasons, and I want to look at the 3%. What about rape and incest? What about if the woman's life is endangered? What about the baby's got some kind of bad abnormality? What, What about those cases? Does that make any difference? So let's look at the first one which is rape and incest. Now, if we go back in Florida, it was only uh, 0.16%. That's not 16%. Does everybody got that? It's 0.16%. So pretty much statistics are, are pretty common here or standard across the board that this reason for abortions are less than um, 1%. It's a very, very small Amount. By the way, I read statistically, and this kind of blew my mind, that statistically in these cases, um, especially of rape, 85% of women will give birth to the child, which I think is amazing. 85% will go ahead and, and have that child anyway. But what about the case of that? Can we justify an abortion in this case? And here's the answer. No. You can't. Here's why. Do you remember in, 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 in lesson number one, we talked about truth? And we talked about people that are relativists, right? And relativist says, well, what's true is according to your situation, right? That sometimes it's, it's okay to do this in certain situations, and sometimes it's okay not to do that in certain situations. Those are called relatives. They don't believe in absolute truth. Well, if I say that it's okay to not kill a human being, in certain cases, but over here it is, then I become a relativist. See, the fact of the matter is, and listen, don't please, I I mean, I'm having trouble even standing here saying this. I want you to understand that, right? But here's the problem. Somebody has been sinned against horribly, horribly. And it's a terrible, terrible thing. But do we make that better? Do we wipe it away? Do we clean it up by killing another human being? I don't see how we can justify that. Ezekiel 18 says this, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. How can I justify killing that child of no fault of his or her own? I just don't see how we can uh, do that. The mother's health, this is one you hear all the time, right? What about if the mother's health? would Would you be surprised to know that statistically, statistically, that happens in zero percent, zero percent. It is so rare it doesn't even register. Dr. C. Everett Koop said this, the fact of the matter is that an abortion as a necessity to save the life of the mother is so rare as to be non-existent. Medical science has come so far that they're able to take babies earlier out of the womb uh, they're able to do all kind of things that they couldn't have done years ago. This is hardly... I mean, it is so rare that it doesn't even register as a percentage. That's how rare it is. That's, that's not even an argument that we should be uh, having. So, again, it's, it's, it medical science has just progressed to the point where it's not necessary anymore to abort a child to preserve the life or the health of the mother. Fetal abnormalities. This is something where technology has really advanced. Um, They're doing more and more prenatal testing and these tests are coming back and they're saying your child has this or your child has that. And more and more parents are choosing to abort their children because these tests say that this child will be born a certain way. In 2017, CBS News put this on their news site. I'm not making this up. It said this, Iceland cures Down syndrome. Iceland cures Down syndrome. And immediately you would think, well, did they come up with some kind of new genetic thing? No, no. They just abort every single child in the country that has Down syndrome. They have pretty much wiped it out. 100%. Like 99, I think I, think I looked at the average over the last 10 years, there's two Down syndrome babies born a year in Iceland. 99.999% of their children are aborted, that have that basically because of a test. They don't know for certain, but the test says your your child may have it, so they abort them and they wiped it out. By the way, that percentage is 77% in France, 90% in the U.K., and two out of three in the United States. We've We've come to the point where technology has done some amazing things, but it also gives us information we never had. And people are taking advantage of that to abort children because there may be something wrong with them or there is something wrong with them. This whole week, as I said, this has been a difficult week. I I have not enjoyed this at all. And there's four words that has just been in my mind all week long, and that's that. What have we become? What have we become as a nation? What have we become as a country? Two things I want to point out. We've become a country that sacrifices our children to the God of self-love. Last Wednesday, you can go look this up. There was a lady by the name of Sarah Lopez, and she uh, testified before the House Oversight Committee. It was last Wednesday. You can Google it and find it. And this is what she said. I quote her words. She said, My abortion was the best decision I ever made. It was an act of self-love. Now, I don't know about the first sentence, but that second sentence is absolutely true. It was an act of self-love. Let's go back to Psalms 106, 38. It says this, They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted by bloodshed. You remember when the, when the Israelites came out of Egypt and they were going into the Canaan, God said, Don't do what they do. They, they offer their children in the fire to the Canaanite God who was Molech, was the God of fire. Don't, he, he said, they're doing things that never even entered my mind. That's what God said. Don't do those things. And they, guess what? They did them. Well, let me tell you, we don't sacrifice children anymore on the altar of Canaanite gods. But we certainly sacrifice them on the altar of self-love. We don't worship that God anymore. We worship this one. What do I want? What do I think? What do I need? What's best for me? The second thing is we have devalued life in this country. We've devalued life. We are raising generations of children who have grown up with abortion, being taught that abortion is okay and there's nothing wrong with it. By the way, that same child goes to school and they're taught that there's no such thing as God who gives you value and gives you purpose. You just came out of the slime. You're just a bunch of sales. Is it any wonder? Is it any wonder that we're reaping the whirlwind? Is it any wonder that we're reaping what we sow? Is it any wonder that if somebody would go into a school and shoot up children? Who does that? I'll tell you who does it. Somebody who sees no value in life. Because they've been taught their whole life that life has no value. We are reaping the whirlwind as a country. I want to say one more thing. What do we do? This is what we do, right? I'm just one person. You're just one person. We, we, we're not going to make all the difference in the world. What can I do as a person when it comes to these really culturally divisive subjects? That's what you can do. You can stand for truth. You can stand for truth, even when it's hard. It's not easy to get up here tonight and say some of the things that I've said. Uh, it's much easier just to push it aside, pretend it doesn't exist. But we, the Bible says that the church is the standard, I'm sorry, the buttress of the truth. You all know what a buttress is? A buttress is a wall. Here's a wall. This is the buttress. It holds up the wall. The Bible says the church is the buttress or the pillar of the truth. We hold it up for everybody to see. That's our job as, as the church. So when we go out in society, we go out into our schools, we go out into the work, we go out into our, our family gatherings, we have to stand for truth. Because if we don't, who else will? I, I'm, I just want to reiterate one more time that uh, I know some of this stuff is hard to hear. Um, but if you are here and you've had an abortion, okay, um, I just want to say one more time: God is a loving and forgiving God. He is a loving and forgiving God. He delights in showing mercy. We sang that Sunday, didn't we? He delights. He it makes him happy, gives him pleasure to show mercy. But unfortunately, we have to look at ourselves in the mirror of truth and face what we've done. That's true not only for women who've had abortion, but as I said, for the myriad of sins. ...that we all bring into this uh, life. Don't waste the opportunity. If you're here tonight, you're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. You did not not hear by accident. Um, if the Lord's speaking to you, take time. Take time. I'm not, certainly not going to ask anybody to, to raise their hand... ...or to come forward in front of... ...I'm not going to do that. But take time to spend some time with the Lord. He is ready and able and willing... ...and delighting and wanting... ...to forgive and show mercy if we'll only ask. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. Uh, we thank you for your word, uh, even when it's hard. We thank you, Lord, that there's no situation in this world, there's no topic in our culture that your, that your word and your truth doesn't speak to. Uh, the answers are right there if we're only willing to look. So God, I pray tonight that uh, we first, I pray for two things. Number one, if there's any woman here, who's had an abortion, and Lord, she's dealing with shame and she's dealing with guilt. Holy Spirit, if you will, in Jesus' name, will you touch her? Father, will you wrap your arms around her and just let her know how much you love her? That, God, you are so quick and easy to forgive if, they, if we will only ask God, if we'll only fall on your mercies, the way out of the shame and the guilt and the sin and the condemnation is, by, is through the truth. Not only the spoken truth, but the truth of your son, Jesus Christ, in bodily form. God, help us, help us not to be stubborn and proud, but God, help us just to turn to you. And Father, I pray for all of us here that we'll be strong and we'll be courageous in the days and the weeks to come that God, we won't shy away from culture. We won't shy away from the voices that are out there that are speaking untruths. But God, we will stand loud and we will stand proud and we will stand strong and courageous proclaiming your word no matter what comes, God. But we we can't do that. We can't do it in and of ourselves. We have to have you, Holy Spirit. Give us boldness at River of Life you fell on that upper room and with that with when you fell you took a bunch of cowardly men and women and you made them warriors. God make us truth warriors in the day to come in the days to come. Give us boldness, give us courage in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. You are dismissed. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info at rolcrofferville.com. We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Please visit us at ROL Crawfordville for more information and directions.